Welcome to The Big Why, a series from Montana Public Radio where we find out what we can discover together. I'm your host, Austin Amistoy. This is a show about listener-powered reporting. We'll answer questions, large or small, about anything under the big sky. By Montanans for Montana, this is The Big Why. Today, reporter Ellis Julin is here to talk about Montanans' right to a clean and healthful environment. Hey, Ellis. Hey, Austin. Thanks for having me. And hello from the millionth week of the legislative session. So, Ellis, when you're not running around the Capitol, you've been digging into the language in Montana's Constitution about the environment. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the question that I set out to answer comes to us from Dr. Vicki Watson. She's a retired professor from the University of Montana, and she spent her career studying aquatic ecosystems. When I came to Montana 40 years ago, I heard from a lot of people how proud Montanans are of their new constitution, the, all the thought that went into it, that people from both parties and independents, you know, people from all walks of life had participated in writing the constitution and that it was adopted with widespread support. Most of her research is centered around the Clark Fork River Basin, which is part of the largest complex of toxic waste cleanups in the country. And the degradation there is the product of years of hard rock mining in Butte and Anaconda, which sit at the headwaters of the river. My parents taught us that if you take care of the land and take care of your community, they'll take care of you. And they also taught us that with every right comes responsibilities. And when I read the Constitution, I said, my parents could have written this Constitution. It sounds a lot like them. So Vicki wanted to know, why does Montana have a constitutional right to a clean and healthy environment? Okay, so where should we start? I think we should start with the 1972 Constitutional Convention, where delegates from all over the state met in Helena to write the document that we have today. I sat down with Maine Ann Ellingson. She was the youngest delegate at the convention and part of the Natural Resources Committee, which is the subgroup of delegates that wrote this environmental language in the Constitution. And she said that Montana back then looked a lot different from the Montana we know now. In Missoula, where I live, the air was so thick with smoke and particulate. It smelled like sulfur. There were clear cuts going on in all the forests around Missoula. Up at Columbia Falls, the aluminum plant was spewing out so much pollution it was killing all the trees kind of on the gateway to Glacier Park. Wow, I can't imagine what that would have been like. What was the legislature doing while all this was going on? Manian told me that the legislature had been under the control of the Anaconda Copper Company for so many years that environmental legislation wasn't really in place, and Montanans were tired of it. This set the stage for some serious consideration of how to put environmental protections into the new constitution. There was enough environmental degradation in Montana where Montana taxpayers were left holding the bag in terms of cleaning up abandoned mines and toxic waste sites and so on because we had not done a good job of regulating that. So did the drafters have anything to go off of while they were writing this provision? You know, did any other states have broad environmental language at this point in law? Not really, no. The Federal Clean Air Act had just been passed by Congress in 1970, and 1970 was also when we had the first Earth Day. So protecting the environment was an idea that was taking root, but it was really still in its infancy. 
there were so many unanswered environmental questions. And so it was a time where people were wondering what could be done. And I know that for myself and several others, I ran on a platform of having strong environmental protections in the Constitution. Maynan told me that the delegates working on this section of the Constitution had to come up with a lot of this all on their own, but they were really careful to write up this language in a way that was going to protect citizens. I learned while researching this story, there was a lot of back and forth between delegates. Bob Campbell, who drafted this particular provision in the Constitution, decided that the term environment on its own was just too vague. He wanted that language qualified, which is how we ended up with what we have now. The state and each person shall maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. Hmm. Well, I imagine clean and healthful still leaves some room for interpretation. So how has this language been interpreted over the 50 years since it was put in place? That's a great question, Austin. The first time the Constitution's environmental quality provisions were put to the test was in 1999 in the Montana Supreme Court. That case was between the Montana Environmental Information Center and the state's Department of Environmental Quality, and it was over a proposed gold mine on the banks of the Blackfoot River, and how that could impact arsenic levels in the watershed. I talked to Ann Hedges, the Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs for MEIC. Internally, our thought was either a right to a clean and healthful environment means something, or it doesn't. And so let's find that out. Okay, so how did the court rule? The Montana Supreme Court ruled that the right to a clean and healthful environment is fundamental and that citizens and the state need to look ahead at what impacts could be to prevent future problems. The court said, yes, you cannot wait for dead fish to float on the surface of the water before you can invoke the the far-reaching provisions of our Constitution. And our Constitution was intended to be preventative and anticipatory. It was intended to prevent pollution before it begins. So I'm betting the ways this part of our Constitution has been interpreted didn't stop with that court case. What does that clause mean today? So to me, it all really comes back to the basic tension that informed the creation of the clean and healthful language in the first place, the push and pull between industry and the environment. To step back, there are very real reasons why some folks have problems with the way the language gets applied. Mining, logging, coal, natural gas, a lot of that stuff can be really important to our economy. Entire cities, counties, and regions can depend on industries that impact ecosystems. And I think what's happening on that front this legislative session is a really good example of what all of this means today. Cutting this red tape is good for energy development, it's good for Montanans, and it's good for business. There are a couple of bills being fought out right now as we're recording that speak to this exact tension. One bill looks just at lawsuits. We've had frivolous lawsuits many times come across... Uh, the state stopping good practices, good mining, good oil and gas production. And it makes it harder for nonprofits and other groups to litigate against projects that could impact Montana's ecosystems. But the other side of that is legal challenges are exactly how our constitutional language gets defined and enforced in the first place. We're not rich people. We can't afford 12 lawyers to push our agenda or sway our legislators. Our state agencies like the DEQ are supposed to look out for and take care of Montanans and people like us. And today we're also dealing with something making the clean and healthful environment language in our constitution more contentious than ever. And that's climate change. That concept is just too big to try to evaluate in the sense of Montana. And it should be handled at the national level by Congress. 
Another bill allows the Montana Department of Environmental Quality to avoid considering greenhouse gas emissions in its environmental review. Someone has to sacrifice for progress, creating jobs, putting money in the state's coffer. So who's going to sacrifice? This plant will be classified as a major source of HAPS, hazardous air pollutants. So this is kind of the next frontier that's yet to be defined. Does the clean and healthful environment language in our Constitution apply to things that are less tangible than dead fish on rivers or sulfur-smelling air, namely planet-warming emissions? A story that will continue to unfold. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Ellis. Thanks for having me, Austin. Now we want to know what makes you curious about Montana, and you can submit your questions on our site, bigwhy.org. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and help others find the show by sharing it and leaving us a review. 